0: Welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is Seamless MD CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today we're joined by our special guest, Tony Ambrosi. Tony is Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Officer for Baptist Health South Florida, the largest not-for-profit healthcare organization in South Florida. He's responsible for all technologies and customer experience, as well as clinical digital and data transformation efforts. Before joining Baptist Health, Tony served as Senior Vice President, Technology and Digital at the Walt Disney Company. In this role, he was responsible for a number of digital and core systems and technologies, engineering, data analytics, and machine learning for Disney parks, consumer products, games, and publishing. Prior to joining Disney in 2013, Tony was Vice President for Digital Platform Technologies at American Express, where he was responsible for platform engineering, shared services development, and application security with previous roles focused on application architecture, development, engineering, and performance. He is a proven leader in the technology and digital space with a keen focus on using technology and data to enhance the consumer experience. Tony also holds a dual MBA and master's degree in information management from the WP Carey School of Business at Arizona State University. Tony, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you. thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. You've led the most fascinating career uh, from the front lines of digital transformation across several different industries, manufacturing, real retail, hospitality, and now healthcare. From my understanding though, you actually first got involved in this world of digital way back in high school, which actually led to you starting your own company, developing enterprise software for other companies before finally making the decision to uh, pursue further education. Before we get into the weeds of this digital health conversation, I was really curious to know, know what drove you to start your own company as opposed to working for an organization. Did you always have that entrepreneurial spirit or Fill us in there, yeah. And if so,
1: how did I lose it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, it was really in college, you know, um, when um, during my first master's degree, this is the before the two that you mentioned. Um, uh, and there was an engineering um, as to why um, I always wanted to make a big impact on, on the world and be the next Steve Jobs and, uh, you know, and maybe Bill Gates, but I'm better Steve Jobs. <laughs> and and definitely doing my own thing under my uh, own rules uh, seemed the right way to go about doing that Um, it's indeed i started my own company as my that was my first um, paying job or maybe paying job opportunity i should say Uh, it was uh, that that startup uh, indeed was focused on um, writing eventually uh, renting applications. Uh, this was early '90s. writing applications for small companies, um, but that led to, uh, frankly, um, the the value out of it was more the lessons, the hard lessons learned, uh, which turned out to be very uh, uh, valuable even later on, even in large organizations, um, than the immediate uh, commercial or financial success in the in, in that startup. Um, And these lessons really were, uh, you know, having a big vision, which we had. And, you know, you'll probably hear me talk uh, about uh, vision and how important that is vision and strategy for starting with that um, for digital. Um, But um, uh, then, you know, it was also about uh, uh, having a a customer focus, which probably we didn't have at the beginning. It was, we started a, a little bit with what we wanted to code because it was cool. Mm. And, you know, we had to uh, pivot at some point. Um, I remember going into, in front of what you would call probably a venture capitalist, and I would say, here's my product. And then we were very proud of it. And, and he said, yeah, great. Uh, what else? <laughs> so <laughs> that was that, um, but also uh, the delivering in increments because, uh, you know, we basically put all our money into that first release and we wanted it to be perfect. And it was, it was, might have been perfect for the purpose we, we, we had, but not <clears throat> not definitely uh, not the right product. So, uh, that was interesting, but uh, I remember later on when I got into doing some innovation in, in, in other companies, larger companies, I remember these, uh, these lessons, I'm like, aha, uh-huh. I wish I could read this. I, I read this book before I had those experiences, but hey, maybe you learn experiences when you actually experience them better.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah, Tony, you know, you, you've had such an amazing career uh, at American Express and, and Walt Disney, leading digital and transformation there. Um, and yet, in 2020, at the height of the pandemic, you decided to switch to healthcare. Which, I mean, all our folks would do in the first place, let alone in the middle of a pandemic. Um, why? Why did you do that?
1: Yeah, I get I get this question all uh, often, and you know, sometimes it's like. Basically, you can hear the, what in the world were you thinking in the middle of a pandemic? Um, uh, but so it's interesting, it's in truth. I, I joined healthcare as much as I joined uh, Baptist. And here's why um, I have been doing technology and, and digital for some years, as you, as you mentioned. Um, but each of the engagements that I had were, um, were not, uh, you know running the production line, so to speak, business as usual. It was all about transformation and change and, um, you know, building better things um, always. And um, so, but at some point every transformation uh, is followed at some point um, by a steady state. And in each one of my previous uh, jobs, at some point I reached that steady state where the adrenaline was gone, Uh, which is is a good thing. you You know, organizations cannot be in upheaval, transformation upheavals all the time. Um, they should, in truth, do transformation and change all the time in, in small increments. And as I was saying earlier, you know, and, and do you, small increments means you can test it, you can learn, you can, whatever, fail small. Um, um, so, you know, in it, with, with Amex about 2012, 2013, I, you know, I said, hey, um, I, you know, I've done some great work, great work here, uh, what's next? And then uh, Disney came, Disney Parks. Um, there was a lot of transformation there, and then they, kind of the cycle uh, continued. Um, and then by twenty nineteen, I thought, okay, what is the the next place where maybe I can make a positive impact? Uh, we all want to make a positive impact. Um, yes, we need to pay our mortgages, but at the end of the day, it's we live for that positive impact and the rewards, intrinsic rewards you get from that. And I thought clearly, um, healthcare seems to be that that era. Uh, you know, it's it's obvious as for any of us being uh, uh, patients and consumers of healthcare that probably technology is not great and the uh, the digital experiences are less even than that. So, um, uh, and and I, I thought and I'm, I'm I'm I still think that there's so much opportunity, tremendous opportunity for change there and making things better. And so uh, when when the uh, recruiter happened to call. Um, I was I was convinced.
0: That's great. And you actually joined as their chief digital information officer, which is, I believe, uh, just a split between chief digital officer and chief information officer for other hospitals and systems that are thinking of creating that type of role or even just the chief digital role. How would you describe what it is that you do and why is it important for hospitals to really have a dedicated digital leader uh, or a digital information leader?
1: Well, I I must be careful what I say, so I I don't disappoint my boss when he's going to listen to this. Uh, Indeed, I am the uh, inaugural chief digital officer at Baptist, uh, and you're right, I'm also the chief information officer. Um, I think, you know, a lot of places these days uh, do try to combine these two two roles. Uh, In the past, I think they they were separate because uh, the CIOs were... Perceived and probably they were, you know, the the previous generation. They were perceived as the people who just ran the mainframe in the back end, and that was it. and And they were not interested, frankly, in anything more. Uh, but um, uh, you know, we clearly, you know, digital is about experiences, intensely about experiences, but fundamentally is about technology, and you have to put that t- together. Yes, there are uh, uh, some other ingredients, uh, clearly, but they're they're clearly. Uh, Uh, very intertwined Um, what describes this or defines this role is very uh, straightforward as I said I own all the technology and information um, uh, capabilities you know which is you would say a traditional uh, CIO role but with a big transformation agenda even outside digital there's a lot of transformation that needs to be there um, for a variety of reasons um, and but but uh, in addition to that, and I think fundamentally my focus is on uh, digital experiences, whether for patients, consumers, providers um, and, and, and other folks um, and driving, uh, defining and driving the digital transformation. And um, you know starting that starts with always think first about the consumer or the customer, however you want to good and then look at how uh, you can uh, change the business or the business models or the business process, business processes to, uh, to
2: meet that um, uh, goal. And Tony, I think what's interesting about healthcare is that you have so many different segments of users that could be your, the customer that you're building experiences for. So you have patients as consumers, and then you have clinicians as users in your infrastructure, administrators as well. Um, how do you, how do you think about the fact, I guess we back up, do you feel as if you're serving three different types of customers sometimes? And then my follow-up question is, if so, like, how do you decide what to focus on for each set of customers in, in your digital efforts?
1: Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, fundamentally you have to start somewhere. Um, and yes, we do have a lot of customers, but, you know, I tend to focus on the real consumer because i think that drives and pulls and you know there's a lot of discussion in healthcare about um, consumer-centric focus clearly in the operating room the the center of the universe is the patient but it's the question is how is that happening in before and after Mm -hmm. Um, so while um, everybody is a consumer of digital experiences including the certainly uh, including the um, the uh, physicians and the other providers, and also other operations, we definitely you know, start with the consumer. Um, and, um, and so, uh, you know, in terms of prioritization, you know, what's most important, what's most impactful, what needs to be th- the most, you know, I, I tend to think that uh, clearly on the consumer side we have the biggest gap. Um, you know, some folks may disagree and say you don't understand. We need all this and that and the other. In the clinical space, which they're, they're true, but I think the the um, uh, the consumer space is is very important. And frankly, um, consumer um, it's uh, ha- having access to care basically is care, and that's the the first first quality of care is being able to get it, and the more efficient and easier it is, the sooner you get to see somebody and maybe. Uh, um, get the care that that you need. Um, so um, and, and so in, in with, with that in mind that there are obviously the other the other um, um, uh, are, you know, uh, criteria in terms of what's depressing, what's burning, but also but also with an eye on also keeping on uh, on to the vision and the strategy.
2: Yeah. And, and I'm curious, um, when you focus on the consumer journey and you think about how you measure success? I've I've heard from some other digital leaders they're using you know customer NPS scores or consumer NPS scores now about the consumer journey and their digital healthcare experiences. Maybe others focus more on activation rates for their you know patient portals or something else. Wondering are, are there certain metrics that you think are, are most important right now in terms of measuring um, how well the consumer digital journey is going for your your patients?
1: Yeah. And then we're still, we're still in <clears throat> work in progress. Um, I think I started here maybe 20 months ago or so, <clears throat> but the true transformation, uh, digital the consumer focus started about, uh, a year ago. Uh, so there are, there are a number of uh, metrics that we have in place and others that, that do come in place. Um, I tend to be of the opinion that, um, Yes, it's great to ask the the consumers, hey, how did that work? How did, what do you think? Uh, But I think it's a a lot better to measure what they did, you know, um, and how how that, and it does require a certain level of uh, sophistication into, um, you know, how you measure that. And, you know, years ago in my previous uh, experiences, it was, um, you know, one of the measures was, you know, when you're on the site, if you seem to go up and down and left and right and all the time clearly you're not finding what you you need and so uh and eventually when you do find it we say ah um, that's why this thing is so um, uh, uh, buried deep that people cannot find it let's rethink how we're um, uh, how we're presenting that or how we're navigating the the consumer to that sure you know it's the human mind is if if you have a positive experience and followed by a negative experience, in the overall experience or a perception will be negative. Yeah. If at the end you you actually have you know you you meet you find what you want and then it's a good good experience, you kind of forget about the the not so good at the beginning. And so if you ask people, well, um, how did I go? Uh, and they would say, yeah, that that's great because I found it and I'm, I solved my problem. But doesn't mean that you know the first part might not have been great, or they could have abandoned it. And clearly, if you abandon the journey, that's where we go and 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 look. But there are you know macro uh, macro KPIs of how many people uh, use the self servicing capabilities versus call, um, and, and and that 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 sort of thing. The you know the difference being you know when you do self servicing. You know, you have an account, you have a profile, so all that exists. So when the actual booking happens, or whatever it is, check-in uh, registration, um, there is—it's a, you're a known quantity, so to speak. Nobody has to go and put in manually on the backend um, uh, things. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate the the nuance that you have in that perspective and looking at the kind of holistic picture of what did the consumer actually do with the the digital technology. Um, In the past, Tony, you've actually contrasted the Disney consumer experience from a health system consumer experience, noting that when you go to Disney, you're in good spirits, you're in high spirits, you're, you know, there to have a, a vacation. But when you go to a hospital, you're often sick or you're in poor spirits. So I was curious, you know, how do those differing situations <clears throat> change how you think about a digital consumer experience for Baptist Health, uh, the patient journey versus what Disney's consumer journey would be?
1: Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. You know, we seek healthcare when we're not our at our best, uh, physically and emotionally. Um, you know, we just want to get better, to be better. You remember, the purpose is not to meet a physician or or whatever. Uh, but to get better, in reality, what, However, that happens, uh, if it happens, that's that's the goal. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have magicians to kind of restore uh, health. But that would, that would work if that works. That would that would uh, that would be okay. Um, and um, you know, in, in that case, you don't you don't want hurdles, unnecessary hurdles. You know, when we're looking for entertainment, um, yeah, we're not necessarily want we don't want hurdles but maybe we're willing to uh, accept some here and there uh, if it can be helped. And we, we talked about the uh, perception at right. the end. But what that means is that it's, it's both simple, but also incredibly hard at the same time, uh, because then it means that in, 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 uh, in healthcare, which is a much more, uh, don't get me wrong, it's a much more complex um, encounter or, or interaction than you know buying something uh, uh on amazon at least from a perspective of, of a consumer uh or you know going to a movie and buying tickets in advance uh but but in in healthcare the uh the experience needs to be even simpler um and even more friend user friendly and devoid of unnecessary friction so anything that is not critical and easy to provide should should be re- rethought and you know repetitive forms i mean I've always known this problem. Everybody has been saying, oh, I always get these forms. I have to fill them again and again and again. Right. Remember that. And in some places now, the form is digital, but it's still a blank form, digital or not. So you still have to go through that process. And and frankly, sometimes it's for one interaction or for a simple interaction, say, never mind, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to, you know, scribble on on the uh, on, on the paper. So um, those are things that we need to um, um, be very mindful of and not ask for things that we know. Just in the unlikely event that maybe, um, maybe changed since yesterday. Possibly, but 9% nine, nine, or 9% they didn't change. So um, you know, maybe there's a simple way to say, yep, nothing changed. It's still me. It's still everything else uh, about me. Um, so we need to resist the temptation just to over-ask. Uh, and to simplify,
2: you know, Tony, I, I'm sure you you have some, you know, colleagues who are digital health leaders at other health systems, and I I find that often they come from the healthcare environment. They've been healthcare their whole careers, and now they're chief digital officer. You you came from a lot of really incredible consumer brands and, and companies. I'm wondering, have you noticed that going from let's say your experience to healthcare now? you've come with a different approach in some ways to digital than folks who've been in healthcare their whole careers, and, and what differences have you noticed about how, how you've looked at things?
1: And certainly so, that's absolutely true. Not that, that those folks necessarily accept um, everything or n- not recognize the, the need for uh, fluid experiences, but I think it's uh, over time, maybe the past, they were they could not solve for things, and then now they come to, they've come to accept a lot more um and and sometimes is you know the vendors were never great um and you you got the vendor the product from the vendor and that was it and you had to accept it because what else what all the choices do you have um now clearly you know from my perspective i, I uh, maybe i'll i'll slow down as well when i you when know, i say why are we asking for this why is this needed you know, and this is the part where digital goes into the transforming of some of the processes. Do we really need this? Sometimes the, the, the question is surprisingly uh, surprising, you know, the answer. And, and the answer, you know, answer is not, not really. Um, you know, there are ways to, um, you know, we had the e-forms and e-signatures in elsewhere for 15 years or maybe less, a little bit less. But so clearly that uh, you don't have to have a piece of paper with an actual scribbled uh, signature. Um but uh, and as, as I said, sometimes it's because in the past they not have not had choices depending too much on uh, vendor products that are too generic um, and that's uh, in, in, uh, especially difficult when implementing in um, healthcare with all the old systems in the back and all the processes developed over time. So I, I wouldn't necessarily you know blame them blame them for uh, accepting, uh, things. But yeah, I'm, I'm the one that is is, always says, why is this needed? And how can we do it simpler and easier?
0: I love that. Um, Tony, in a a previous podcast, you mentioned your propensity for execution, um, basically stating that, you know, creative strategy and innovation is only one side of the equation, but execution and strong execution is really where the magic happens. Uh, given your broad focus that uh, this transformation doesn't happen overnight, you've mentioned it earlier that it's incremental growth. Um, what's your framework for determining which projects to tackle first?
1: Yeah, I think there's a there's a saying that it goes by something like uh, um, uh, strategy without execution is lunacy, or something like that, yeah. um, or vision without execution is lunacy. It's, it's absolutely true. So you know frankly sometimes um you, it's great to have both a great strategy and a vision and execution um, you know then you're probably called apple um, uh, but frankly if i had to choose uh, and i don't want to choose but you know realistically between a great great vision and strategy and a um, uh, inadequate execution and a okay vision and strategy and a great execution i'll, I'll choose the latter um, because you need to get something um, and then you can, you can polish the, um, you know, or, or evolve, evolve the, the, the vision. Uh, but so that's why, you know, talking about vision and strategy, I, I start with defining a vision. I, I started with defining a vision, which is where do we want to be in X years? And usually X is no more than maybe three, maybe a little bit more. Um, here at Baptist, I kind of split it in the first year and a half, in the second year and a half, if we can talk about that. What you each had in terms of vision, um, and then um, then define the strategy. How are we going to get there? And you know, these are two elements um, uh, that provide the rails for all the um, prioritization and, and choosing and, and and the definition, all the subsequent um, uh, decisions, uh, right? And because and you know, that's that's the way you say, hey, is this or that project or feature. Is this aligning with the vision? Does it provide help towards that um, or not? If not, we shouldn't be doing it. Um, If yes, maybe there are some um, more tactical considerations. Um, And, you know, as we said earlier, it's, you know, what is, um, among all other things, uh, you know, um, what is providing um, the biggest bang for the buck now or what it can be done, accomplished uh, technically now. Um, uh, which is and how, how much impact is for a customer, which is usability, and you know what can be accomplished, which is really a feasibility. Um, you know, I th- I, th- I think I wanted to add to that, um, but a, a couple of things. Uh, one is um, the defining the vision and the strategy. This is not that um, it's it's hard, you know, it's uh, having it crisp and clear. And, you know, uh, but it cannot be dead, degenerate into this all hands for months and years, defining everything and, and, and you know, never ending exercise in, 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 you know, in futility, trying to please every agenda and um, <clears throat> and, and have analysis paralysis. And now, you know, some, some consultants like that because, you know, they have people running the process and the longer the process is, the, the better it is. Um, and and but you remember, vision is necessarily high level. We're gonna just provide people, hey, we're gonna be about there, you know. Um, and you know, and the strategy, especially for the not immediate term, uh, will will definitely be uh, tweaked all the time. Um, so not, no point in you know being bogged down in, in ultimate uh, perfection. Um, we said you know the the vision and the strategy has to be very cr- crisp and clear, especially, and this is where I'm channeling my inner Steve Jobs Uh, and just kidding, you know, on being clear on what we're not going to do. You know, you remember Steve Jobs said, I'm proud of the things that uh, at Apple we choose not to do. Uh, It's it's true because there's so much stuff that you can do and some of it is is valuable to to that goal and that vision. Some of it is okay, yeah, nice. So what? Just like my 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 original product in the in the startup. and so, you know, there always flies in, you know, somebody says, oh, so personally, hey, can you do this thing? And can you do that thing? And that has to be managed, uh, managed carefully. Because
2: otherwise it just uh, derails the train. But can I ask you, uh, I'm curious, you know, um, as someone who's been a digital and technology leader, you know, you've probably seen a lot of situations where um, as you grow like a product or, uh, or build something, it's better to um, subtract rather than add you know, maybe we need less workflows, less features, et cetera. Um, I find it difficult in healthcare where it, you have all these mission critical solutions. You have so many patients and providers using something on your systems. It, it seems almost impossible to remove features or workflows that probably don't make sense anymore, but everyone's still using them. Um, is it possible to, to do that? Like, how do you think about re- Adding by removing complexity in healthcare when it seems that everyone just keeps using the, the complex things over and over.
1: Yeah, and and you know, um, there's a whole art and science about simplicity. You know, I just read a couple of books over the weekend about that. Um, and and you know, it, it's hard. Um, it's it's uh, you know, simplicity that is complexity is very easy. It's just and it it's it's just like an infection. You don't need to do anything to get complex. Uh, you're right and then there's a lot of it, it's, uh, it's already there and people say oh but we always had this and we had this form and then all this regulation and you read the regulation and in general it's not as strict, there are some strict things but not that many and there are different ways to approach the problem, uh, you know yes you have a you know, regulatory body coming to see the data, well it, it, we can provide the data in all sorts of ways, um, it doesn't have to be this way that is particularly complicated. Uh, right, so I think, um, and you know, that's part of the process transformation and model business transformation that is associated with, with digital. Um, and that's where you know I'm, I'm maybe a more of a process reengineering guy uh, expert versus a digital person. You know, you have to appreciate that, um, you know, uh, or, or evaluate how much change can be made. In any one time while you're still because the goal is this for uh for the customer but how much does it have to be changed uh, at this point and there Uh, it does require constant um, uh, constant effort and constantly asking is this really necessary is there a simpler way i don't i don't think anybody has uh, a miraculous answer or formula other than intensely focusing and putting enough um enough uh, effort in getting the the you know the I mean maybe even asking the the five whys why 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 you know right you know um and so and and the last
2: answer is always well why because we've always done it this way <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah i i get that uh, sometimes and there's a conversation and you know like yes but also this is what's happening um but but yeah yeah, I, you know, there is a, clearly a, oh, we need to do this. And because somebody said 10 years ago that this is the law and has it. And that's where you say, okay, let's read the law. We are always going to follow the law, whatever uh, business we are. But what does the law say, uh, say in reality, um, right? So.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, I mean,
1: look, you know, as people say, oh, you know, healthcare regulated. Oh, do you know how much regulation is in the financial services? Mm-hmm. You know, since I left, <laughs> is it probably they added another four Basel protocols since I left uh, a- Amex. And do you know how complicated those are? Yeah. D- serious, serious business with, you know, all the, all the things going on there. So. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I feel like there's a business to making things more complex in that industry. So that makes sense to me. Um, curious, Tony, actually, something that you mentioned earlier in the conversation was uh, this idea of incremental growth. Failing small to learn and, and really improve the, the products over time. I'm curious now in healthcare where there's things like patient lives at stake, and there, there it's a little bit more, um, you know, not an opportunity to necessarily fail in definitely not big ways, but maybe smaller ways, but has that changed the way that you've brought that philosophy to transforming digital, uh, compared to other industries?
1: Uh, c- clearly, of, of course, uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you, let's take an example outside, and I think I used this before outside healthcare, right? You're, you're getting, you're, you're getting on a plane, you know, um, you hope that the software that went into the avionics of that plane, they've been very strict. Nobody did they try and fail quickly, that sort of thing. Uh, right. And, you know, uh, no, uh. Uh, no pun intended to to Boeing uh, But but there's a lot of other stuff that yeah, it's it's not gonna be um, You know that impactful It doesn't mean that you put a reservation, you know mobile app for reservation for their the tickets out there that you lose the reservation and people's lives get get distorted or, or uh, Impacted but there's so much else where it's okay to not be perfect at all I mean partner fully perfect um, and that's, that's where you, you, you focus. And, and this is a matter of context, right? Um, uh, you know, to be honest with you, um, it, it can't be, you know, people say, oh, big tech is used to, you know, test and, 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 um, and, uh, fail fast. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, that's one area or they do that in certain places, you know, um, but not, not necessarily all of them. And you have to be, you know, situ- situationally aware or context aware. Um, and I think you, you you improve a lot. I I, I think that you know um, you can get uh, in a in a decent shape with eighty percent of, of the things, and the twenty percent, yeah, are more complicated. And this is a definitely one of the things about AI and ML. Uh, people are asking me, oh, "What are we doing in the operating room about the AML or whatever?" And I'm like, probably not that much uh, because it's that's pretty complicated, and you know if we get it wrong. Um, it is not a good Uh, but outside that you know if i use aiml to optimize you know um, access or or, uh, um, capacity utilization that's still a value add to the patient because they get care sooner so i'll focus there first while we do it we do we 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 take care of this one which is a lot more complex and and serious and with uh, implications
2: do you find that in healthcare now because ai and ml are such hot topics that sometimes it feels like ai and ml is, is like a hammer looking for a nail and you're of having course. to
1: <laughs> oh absolutely and, and generally it's it's not well understood um especially not its limitations and then when people say oh it's not perfect oh we can't do it um you know and i'm like yeah normal operations are also not perfect um and you have to start with even explaining the confidence intervals and i mean, this you know this thing this magic box does not tell you you know um zero one uh it gives you yeah 85 to 95 percent. are you comfortable making decisions on that interval that's a human aspect not as you know ai ml aspect or data aspect you know um that's you know one of the things that you know we're doing or we're building or we're deploying is something called care guidance which is you know you have a problem you don't know where to go first Well, and then there's a, a process yes collect data and you can apply all sorts of algorithms well-defined or a ml but at the end of the day it's still a uh, confidence interval you have to make a decision of what you want to say and if you don't have that confidence well just say you know go to ER or something Um, but it's a a choice that you have to make but yeah I I, I always get you know I sometimes I get these we're doing a lot more in there and it's very very um, precise and it says we're gonna solve this particular problem and it will lead to this improvement with that cost but I still get the oh look at that uh, system they implemented uh, ML Um, why don't we do that and I'm like what do they do with it
2: (laughs) What's the use
1: case? <laughs> What's the use case? It's interesting. AML, it's, I don't know if you read about a lot of folks through this tool uh, legitimately at, at the, the pandemic and the you know, understanding the virus better. Um, but it was interesting. It didn't didn't result in much, um, and the reason was simply because everybody duplicated everybody else's work, and so they all basically did the all the, you know, the meat and potatoes and the foundation and. And and they didn't collaborate enough for whatever reason, and they didn't learn from each other's mistakes, um, and and so that that was that was a problem. Um, so and people say, well, you see that this doesn't work. Well, you learn. We learn from that, and next time, hopefully, there's not going to be a next time like this. Uh, knock on wood. But uh, we'll do we'll do it better.
0: Yeah, um, Tony, you mentioned collaboration there and how important it is to you know work together collaboratively and. Um, one of your thoughts that you've shared in a previous conversation is on how to build a, a, winning, a winning culture of innovation. Um, and you actually indicated three kind of prerequisites that you have when hiring the right people and, and building this culture of innovation. The three points were, one, have the right people who, in your opinion, are curious, versatile, optimistic, and accepting of uncertainty. Uh, two, have a supportive environment. And then three have just enough funding to get started uh, and no more, no less. And I'm curious most actually about your second prerequisite there in particular learning about this environment. How do you foster an environment that is supportive and not hostile or judgmental?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I would say that uh, I believe on this one um, leaders have a, a um, an incredibly outsized influence um, in creating that environment, and you know, leaders by you know, courageous examples, self examples, and actions influence and and define culture. Uh, and culture is basically this what people do when nobody is watching. That's a good good definition of a culture. Is and and this is you know, you you don't do that. You don't build culture by uh, issuing orders by communicating and and evangelizing and defining and rewarding um and protecting uh during the inevitable setback so um and, and leaders must must uh, understand and accept failure and must be patient and measure progress not against the corporate apis this does not gonna work you know you just started you know uh, either release 0.1 and then you say okay how much money we're going to make this with this first release i'm like i don't even know if this is going to work and a lot of things don't work but if it doesn't work then i'll know how to make it work maybe Uh, right but so you have to have that um, um, uh, and ideas in in general new ideas and and innovation they're incredibly um, fragile things in in a corporate environment Um, especially one that may be defined by uh, short-termism um, agendas or politics, and, and so leaders have, for that personal uh, active involvement, uh, must protect and and, and nurture ideas, uh, and willing to we're willing to go uh, on a limb for, for them, and over time that kind of builds the you know the um, the culture, and people see how things you know, you know we're we're animals that learn from each other even without words. And when you see how how leaders behave and others behave, that becomes that builds that um, that culture and that uh, and that in, environment. Um, so I you know I think uh, a lot of a lot of folks, a lot of big leaders or great leaders, uh, have have done that 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 success. So, But it's something that leaders must invest. You know, and, and you know this is a topic I talk about when I talk about leadership. But um, you know, is not that's not the only argument. By I, I find and not. That I've, I I have been nurturing innovation, but you know others, you know, you name it, uh, including in, you know the CEOs that I watched in my uh, you know past uh, past lives, so to speak, uh, they did that.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a it's a great segue. You know, you've worked under probably the most world class leaders of our time. You know, uh, Ken Chenault at Amex when you were there, and then Bob Iger at Disney. Um, you've also obviously built that skill up for yourself over the past decade plus of you know how to really build this leadership skill that I think you've even said in the past it's not 100% natural it's something that you really have to work at and really build for yourself and so. Um, you know, given that you've had this mentorship in the past from these world class leaders, what is it that really, you know, what do you recommend or what are, what makes a great leader in your eyes.
1: Yeah, and, and by the way, uh, just to be clear, um, I, I worked in those organizations with Ken Ken Chenault and and Bob Iger yeah, of American Express and um, and Disney, tremendous leaders. Um, and over time, um, I you know I I was not nowhere near them, so I watched, I learned from watching them, not in any way mentorship. Just to be clear, I would love to meet them in in person and spend time with them uh, one day. And who knows, Um, they're much more important people than I am. Um, And they were truly remarkable. You can see this in the the way the companies are today versus when they they joined. Um, And there there are some um, leadership behaviors that are kind of distilled um, over, um, over the years, you know, from them and from reading all those, you know, a lot of leadership books. Um, um, I would, I would say though, that's, you know, indeed leadership is one of the, the hardest thing you one can do. And you have to be dedicated to it in a sense of, you want to make sure that you're improving, you're making a better, the world a better world, not just, oh, I'm going to get a big job and a big title and a big office and big money that comes as well. Um, but if you don't have the, the first one, um, um, I think it was a recent tweet by e- Elon Musk that says, "Just don't do it," uh, right? Um, uh, so it, it's it's hard, and you learn all the time, and you fail all the time, and you keep you keep learning. And um, and you know, by no means I'm I'm there, um, so the path is still open for me. But I, I've defined, as I said, a number of uh, uh, leadership behaviors, and I call them behaviors because their behaviors is what you do. Principles is what you enunciate, and then there's a long way between the two. Uh, But, you know, and so um, I would say, you know, uh, courage and clarity uh, in defining the the vision and the strategy. Uh, uh, We talked about that. Um, Definitely uh, build uh, great teams and great leaders, uh, and grow great leaders and uh, strong leaders. Um, Commitment, uh, accountability um decisiveness uh execution with excellence um you have to strive for that in order to get to get uh, uh somewhere um change and transformation and i think about the, the names we had they all you, you you might not know enough about those two companies but there was ch- tra- change and transformation not just the, the year after year evolution um uh you know um you know um uh, uh, optimism, uh, you know, focus, uh, you know, yeah. just like on a particular, we decided on this, on this. Yes, uh, you know, um, if we find that that was the wrong decision, we can think about it again. But if you're not, you stay on the course. Uh, prioritization, as is, is we talked about maybe earlier, you know, there are so many fly-ins that you have to. Um, curiosity and constant learning. Um, and. You know definitely um, integrity and authenticity um, and maybe fairness, I'll add fairness so.
2: And Tony can I ask you, I mean um, like you know Disney is an Apple or great examples of companies where excellence like you've mentioned is a really important quality and a value there Um, in healthcare especially the last few years when I think a lot of organizations felt overrun by COVID, there's a ton of staff burnout etc. It feels hard to preach excellence when people feel like they're, you know, they're underwater and it's hard to breathe. Sometimes when you're tackling COVID and everything else, um, how do you think about still having a high bar for excellence in healthcare, knowing that there's just so much stuff going on the last few years?
1: So, but but here here's yeah, it's an interesting question. What I would say is the following: excellence doesn't mean you need to be like Apple or you failed miserably and you shouldn't do this. Uh, excellence is you absolutely have to strive for the best you can do right in in yes if you're a nurse after 20 hours of a uh, of a uh, shift uh, you know seeing people die it's very little you have left in terms of resources but you've done everything that you could do so you demonstrated you know the excellence yes you didn't save the the patients but nobody nobody could have done now, in, in normal day, when you don't have this, you strive for even more, and and and, and that's that's how I would de- define it. Yeah, twenty hours or whatever, fifteen hours of seeing people dying that's excellence. You reach that, and you've done you know you've done the best you could possibly do. And it's like I'm sure they're physically and emotionally drained, and you know you give whatever you can possibly have left. You give that's excellence.
2: Awesome. Well, mm-hmm.
0: I agree. Um, Tony, I know you're a huge reader. Um, you've, you've talked about it on other podcasts before and other forums, your passion for reading. And, uh, just this past weekend, you were reading a couple books. I heard, and I think I heard somewhere between 20 and 30 books a year, uh, which is incredible. And so I'm really curious, you know, where did this passion for reading come from and how did you develop that habit?
1: Um, Yes, you're right. Um, I, I, um, I read a lot, you know, there's a passion. I think I, uh, I got it from my, uh, my parents. Um, they read a lot and I think, you know, uh, they must have collected, I don't know, maybe more than a thousand books in the house. And then they donated part to some local school, the library of the local school. So um, that's, um, um, I think that's where it started. And I think one of the books that they had is on the, on the shelf, it was the La Russe Mm-hmm. which is a, the French encyclopedia. And so you know, I, I opened it and it was interesting. And so somehow I taught myself uh, some French and, and learning new interesting things. Um, and I think that's kind of like um, uh, how. Uh, but I do uh, read all the time um, and, and constantly uh, about all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, it's probably it is. You know, I have my books uh, listed in thelibrarything.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, I was the books I mentioned earlier, are just uh, two books by um, uh, Ken Segal, um, mm-hmm. they're about simplicity. And one is about, the, he was, a, or uh, at least at some point in time, he was a creative directory of Chaya Today uh, agency working for, no other than Steve Jobs. And so he has interesting things about how uh, Apple uh, maniacally focus on, um, on simplicity. Mm-hmm uh but yeah um and and I, I can share with you that uh this one piece of furniture i keep buying is a new bookshelves mm. and so, so now i think i need another one because i you know I'm, <laughs> most of the bookshelves are you know double booked like one and behind the other like that's not nice uh, so uh, but yeah uh,
0: what, what about uh like a kindle do you, you prefer the paper? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Not Kindle. I, I don't, uh, for whatever reason, but I do have Apple Books. Mm-hmm. So what I'm talking about is beyond the, the, the physical, the Apple Books is, I usually buy those who, uh, if, if I want to have, and I, I take no copious notes mm-hmm. on, on my device, and I, they're good for reference. You go back, and you say, what did they say about this? And, you know, I read them like, okay. Uh, but it's interesting so I you know I think it's a, a fundamentally continuous learning and growing It's it's one of the fundamental things and I think I mentioned in in the leadership uh, for a leader and definitely for uh, anything anybody else um, you know um, as I've been reading a lot you know most of the time these days the books you know and like yeah, I know this and I know that you know but it's still a good reminder and I should do this um, uh, uh, more uh, and it's a validation or not. Hey, you know, I'm still not doing this right? Uh, as I said this is the journey to to great leadership is a long one and I'm, I'm not there yet, but uh, you know so even if you I, I read you know books on the same topics by different authors yeah, yeah. A lot of it is overlap and that's good reminders. oh yeah, I need to remember to do this more often. Uh, but also they're interesting new things and like, hmm okay, I didn't think about that. Um, so but yeah.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So uh, last question that I wanted to ask before we jump over to the Fast Five, Tony, um, is a question we're asking a lot more these days. There is currently this explosion of patient-facing technologies that are all coming about in the past two, three years. Um, things like chatbots and digital care journeys, remote patient monitoring is obviously huge. What are you most excited about today from that patient side and consumer side?
1: Yeah, so I, I, uh, we've split the, the strategy or the vision for, I mentioned earlier, uh, for us in like a two parts. One is about access, which is access, providing access to information and and um, and uh, care, which is you know more more traditional. You say I would say, um, but it's nevertheless very important. Um, and then the second one is where uh, things different things. So the information, EMR, that I know. The information may be from outside, you know, if, if you provide, you know, your genome somehow, that's interesting. Uh, social uh, uh, determinants are interesting, but then mapping or matching with, um, with mobile and matching the, you know, with the sensor in, in, in the watch or whatever device you have. I, I wear my watch uh, nonstop under than when it's being charged and there's a lot of wealth of information being there. Can I put that, those things together in ways that maybe only I can do, neither Apple nor the apps, you know, health apps on the app store have that, you know, tie-in, right? Um, to provide interesting uh, health benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, sensors are important, you know, remote patient monitoring, I think we should start with, uh, they're all the exciting, by the way, that's why you're asking, mm-hmm. they're, they're exciting because I think, you know, it's interesting, the, at least the Western world is growing older, so aging. Therefore, we need more care, but also um, our um, provider, health provider population, is getting older, and you know we can't we can't create you know new or make new physicians as fast as we need. So, therefore, clearly we need some technical solutions to this problem. I think I read somewhere, I, I wrote somewhere about that, and then technology and. and you know, as much as possible, um, you know, as, as safe as possible and or reliable as possible, rely on technologies, remote technologies, uh, whatever you can do at home, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's valuable. Um, that's definitely exciting, you know. Um, and you know, sometimes some people say, well, you know, this wearable is not that um, accurate. And I'm like, yeah, it's 515 plus and minus 15% FDA is okay with it. Um, and then they say, but yeah, but look at me. This device, gizmo here, the, you know, it's thirty thousand dollars, and it does the same thing as this. And but it's only three percent, plus or minus three percent. But when I'm, yeah, but I take two thousand, you know, measurements a year on this thing. Uh, there's a lot of data. So mm-hmm. you know, one data point one from one visit per year. Mm-hmm. That's uh, and you know, who knows what what state you were in? It's it's not as valid as two thousand reads here. So mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, well, awesome, Tony, just being mindful of your time, let's shift over to the fast five. It's basically five questions to get to know you better for our audience. Uh, first question, and this might be difficult because I know, you know, your library of things like you mentioned has over 580 books right now, uh, but do you have a favorite book or book you've gifted the most?
1: <sighs> yeah, this is the the hardest question because I, there's so many and there's so and it's simply really like the, the, you know, uh, the you know the you um, know the favorite book. I, it, there I have s- several favorite books, but you know since we talked about um, uh, leadership, you know, we talked about uh, Bob Iger, he has a great book. I I, I refer to it as a um, uh, you know um, uh, you know personal history disguised you know in, in, in a or a leadership book in, in a MMR. This guy's in a memoir. Um, I, you know, there are some books uh, that speak to extreme ownership and leadership uh, by Stanley McChrystal and uh, Joko Willink. I think I pronounced the name correctly, um, and that's, that's very important. And, you know, those people are from, you know, from the military, but this is not about military, it's not about giving orders, it's about taking accountability as an individual and as a leader. Um, but I read a lot of historians' books, um, you know, um, you know, books on historical readers. Um, I've been reading, you know, um, some history books from um, Yuval Noah Harari, mm-hmm. and his fascinating. Yeah. You know, um, Homo sapiens and Homo Deus, and then, you know, 21 Lessons for the 21 mm-hmm. Centuries. So these are the kind of things um, I read and, and recommend.
0: Nice, I love that. Uh, question two, Tony. Who is a person, dead or alive, who you'd love to meet?
1: Uh, Abraham Lincoln. All right. Um, uh, you know, I think he's um, a remarkable man or person and a remarkable politician and leader uh, with a remarkably small ego. Mm. You know, you know, you talk about the team of rivals and his cabinet. And you know, you have to be very... Confident in yourself to bring all your readers in in that room. So, um, but then also a, a with a remarkable love for uh, and trust in the country, um, and with a more remarkable ability to evolve his mindset about you know the political and slavery context of the day from where he was, where
0: to, where he ended up. Um, so, did I mention remarkable? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great yeah no perfect. Uh, question three. Would you rather have super strength super speed or the ability to read people's minds neither i think <laughs> i um, you know I, I think
1: the ultimate would be to obtain wisdom mm-hmm. uh, and that's why i pursue knowledge because um you know knowledge you know you pursue with reading and 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 you know uh, but wisdom i think it's based on knowledge but it's based on the destination distillation of knowledge um, and the reflection upon knowledge mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's what i would say uh, wisdom is what we should all strive to um and um uh, you know because that that that's it's 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 wisdom not knowledge that makes the world a better place yeah. eventually yes you need knowledge to divine design some gizmo or you know, clearly, um, uh, put the, build the tools to save things like global warming, but is the wisdom for us to actually make that move or the decide on those policies. So, so let's go.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Uh, question four, what do you believe in healthcare that others might find insane? uh,
1: uh I think it's that can. That it can transform in a dramatic way, in a way that it it puts the consumer across the entire journey in the absolute center, not just in the moment of, you know, uh, providing care. Um, And that also that the fact that a lot of the quality of life will come from places other than hospitals. Mm -hmm. We talked about the technology Mm -hmm. um, and, and that. So. Uh, you know, um, healthcare doesn't necessarily mean a particular set of, you know, the way we're organized today, whether here in this country or elsewhere. It just means, you know, uh, you know, caring for, for health and, and obtaining that health or maintaining that
0: health. Yeah, I love that. Uh, last question that we have, Tony, this is more of a pandemic related question. And I know you joined uh, Baptist South Florida in the midst of the pandemic, but what is one hobby or activity you've gotten into since the beginning? uh so you know I, I i will say that
1: because of the work from home a lot of work from home i've been able to exercise a little bit more mm. um uh, whether that's you know it, it's uh i think it's it's useful it, it's definitely useful other things like reading and learning and and uh reflecting our long la- long life uh, lifelong uh, uh, habits um I could say that the only thing you know that I could add is that i'm I am happy to report that I kept up with my French. <laughs> uh, you know I told you the story of how I started i never I never had uh, formal education in, in in French and somehow I learned it from the wow. books that I read. you know uh, some of the materials I had in my first uh, for my first uh, master in, in in engineering were uh, books in French technical wow. books in French so uh, but then I kind of nothing, and and, and then I, I, I was uh, responsible from the U.S. for the uh, technology team in, in uh, Disneyland Paris. So that came just before the pandemic, that came uh, handy. And mm-hmm. so I'm pleased to say that I, I kept
0: kept up with my with my friends. So, wow. So. Congrats. No, that's awesome, Tony. Um, well, you know, being mindful of your time, let's wrap it there, but I do want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your time with us. You've shared wisdom with us, really not just knowledge, but actual wisdom that's come from one of the most fascinating careers, um, that we've had on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I just want to say that's a wrap for this episode of the digital patient hosted by seamless MD follow us on Twitter at SeamlessMD, And if you like the podcast and you want to learn more, please visit www.seamless.com. Tony, thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. Thank
1: you. Thank you.